Ready? All right. This is Inside with Outsiders, and today's guest is someone I've wanted to have on the show for a while, Anthony Martini, uh, music industry entrepreneur. Best way to describe it? That works. All right. Well, it's funny because I was trying to find a, a great way to introduce you, and yeah. I think I found the name for your first book. What? Tell me. From Concrete to C-Suite. That's interesting. Yeah. You know, like, because I, I am working on a book. Okay. I have been for like I'm not surprised. a year or so. Yeah. Like, it's just, you know, just kind of like a series of like interviews over the past year or so, just about kind of um, just, yeah, my journey. And I've been playing with titles sort of like that, like tying both worlds in because yeah. um, it's been uh, definitely a unique journey. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say so. Which is also makes it hard to describe exactly what I do. What know? are some <laughs> of the other optional titles you're, you're thinking of, if you don't mind sharing them? I don't, yeah, I don't know. Something like, uh, just like, I'm, none of them are good. <laughs> <laughs> you, can, you can use mine. Concrete yeah, no, I know. That, that, that actually might work. There I, you I'm go. It, yeah. um, I've known you for, I was trying to think of it, like just shy of 15 years now. Mm. And, um, you know, I, I've known you for 15 years, but I don't know too much about your background other than what I've heard in song lyrics. Mm. Uh, for those you don't know, I guess maybe that you're starting the music industry was in a hardcore band. Mm hmm. Uh, Eton Concrete, which was a band I was, I am still currently a huge fan of, um, and it's definitely like what you describe like '90s, late '90s hardcore band. Yeah, late, yeah, late '90s kind of, yeah, East Coast hardcore. Yeah. So what I know of you prior to meeting you is stuff that I've heard in your lyrics, assuming you've written all your lyrics, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So with this interview, I wanted to know, I want to hopefully know more about you, about your 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 history, your start. I know you're self-made, and a lot of people. Yeah, you got a, you got a tattooed on your hand. Uh, and that's like an inspirational story for anybody. Mm -hmm. I mean, coming from, you know, from what I know from the song lyrics, food stamps to being a self-made millionaire is not a, a common story. Mm -hmm. So uh, let's start off. I mean, that, that's even the reason why. Like, because I'm, I'm kind of the person that, like, I'm not into, like, press. And, like, you know, yeah. it, it's because, it's, honestly, anytime I'm in the press, it's, trouble like there's problems or you know but um I, i'm never i'm kind of a humble like low-key dude but i do feel like there's probably value in just my story that could help other people you know i'm more interested in in how potentially to help other people see like a path you mm -hmm. know what i mean uh then then just like oh, i want to write a book because it's like cool and vanity right. but it's like yeah. i need a purpose for it and, right. and that's kind of you know that that that's the concept a little bit behind is is almost even try to help people you know figure yeah. figure a way to, to to get from point a to point b so i mean i, I see i see that happening especially writing a book i mean you've done that with your song lyrics That's obviously your song lyrics speak to a lot of people mm -hmm. um but let's start off with where you're from from elizabeth new jersey e-town e-town <laughs> um but yeah bo uh, born in elizabeth born and raised in elizabeth um lived lived there probably up until i was like 20 years old or so and then just kind of bounced around new jersey for a while and then you know eventually moved into manhattan for a few years and then now came back and right. in the suburbs of new jersey yeah. you know it's, it's been a path but jersey uh born and raised you know always elizabeth is like my yeah you know rep yeah. Rep, rep town um what was your family like the family unit growing up um, grew up, it was, it was, uh, just me, my mom and my brother. 
Um, and yeah, it was a pretty small, you know, just kind of like a small uh, family unit there. It didn't really, you know, didn't really uh, interact much with my dad, you know, most of my life. You know, now I, now I do. It's different, you know, like sort of it's interesting how life kind of, yeah, you know, changes and you change and people change or you just, uh, you know, have new understandings of, of different things. And, and so, yeah, you know, back then it was sort of your, I guess, typical like angry kid sing you know no dad you know yeah. and that and that came across in a lot of like even just when i started doing music and and the content and, and sort of like the the lyrics and stuff i was writing that that came across but um yeah just one day didn't feel like that anymore so right. <laughs> what uh what changed uh i think just life experience you know uh, like I, i've been through a lot of um I guess like traumatic experiences and, and you know, it puts, it really puts things in, in perspective. Um, you know, part of it, like I said, I grew up, it was just me, my mom, my brother, um, pretty much, you know, I was kind of like the man of the house and, you know, had to, had to sort of like be responsible at a, a young age. Younger brother, I'm assuming. Yeah. Younger okay. brother. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, ended up my mom, she got cancer and she passed away. Um, and then I had, a daughter, our first, you know, our first. How old were you when your mom passed? Um, 25. Okay. You know, but like she had cancer for a few years. So it was like, and we didn't talk for a few years. It, there was like a whole, you know, she was, uh, she had her own demons and, you know, alcoholic, drug addict, uh, you know, just lots of kind of, uh, you know, it just wasn't like a happy-go-lucky, right. uh, you know, scenario growing up. And, and so at a certain point, as I got older, you know, I, I tried to help affect change and, you know, she just wasn't, uh, responsive to it. And so, you know, I made a decision at some point when I was like, uh, probably like 20, 21 and just to not talk to her anymore. Um, in, until she like went into rehab or right. did something, you know, to, to sort of like change what was going on. And so, you know, there's a couple of years we, we didn't talk, which was tough because, you know, growing up that my mom was like everything, you yeah. know, it was like, she was, you know, the, all I had of course. and like er, sort of everything I did was for her in a lot of ways. Um, and so decided not to talk to her. And then we lost a couple of years because we just weren't talking. And then when I did start speaking to her again, she had, you know, it was because mm -hmm. we found out she had cancer and it was sort of like, you know, I just put things in perspective. Like I wasted a lot of time, not that it was wasted, but it, but it, it just, you know, life is short. And, that, and, and so even when it comes to my dad, um, you know, I just didn't want to hold this like grudge anymore. Like, cause I, I felt like, I feel like that's toxic when, when you, when you hold Absolutely. things inside. Yeah. Um, and you know, like being angry, it really just only affects you really. It doesn't really affect, you know, the people you're necessarily angry at. You're speaking kind of like someone who's, have you done therapy before? Um, I started recently. Yeah. 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 Me too. I, I, yeah. I do that. And, yeah. uh, I think it's not spoken about enough, right? And I think it's super valuable. But you sp you're speaking from someone who seems aware and, and conscious and therapized in a sense. Because <laughs> uh, you're saying these things that a lot of people necessarily wouldn't realize. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it just it all seemed logical to me, you know, like kind of going through it all just, you know, after our, 
not speaking to my mom then she got sick and then she passed away and then it's like i wasn't speaking to my dad because i never talked to him and it was like i just had this newborn baby and it's, yeah. it's kind of like what the fuck is the point of all this shit right. like you know what i mean it's like all right you know even even when it comes to my dad you know i i feel like you know people make mistakes in in life and and mm -hmm. i you know like i can't really judge the situation that he was in at the time, you know, like my mom and dad had me when they were like 19 years old, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? And so like, and also knowing like my mom was kind of crazy. <clears throat> my dad's crazy too, but right. like I was only hearing one side of it my whole life. And like, who knows what the truth is at, at that point or, or like even whatever the truth is, it like, or accepting like, there's, there's humanity, right? Yeah. There's yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. At the end of the day, it's like, no one's perfect. Yeah. You know, I think about like, you know, when I was 19, 20 years old, it, like, like yeah. I, I feel like I was pretty mature, but you know you're still young now, especially now thinking about being 19 or 20 years. That's like a kid. You know? I didn't know my ass from my elbow back then. Like exactly. looking back from now, yeah. And so you know, it, it kind of just dawned on me that there was no like I just didn't want to hold this like grudge anymore. And mm -hmm. and so you know, reached out to my dad, and you know, we 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 sort of like reestablished a relationship. And now you know, like now we're cool. Like you know what I mean? And and I kind of you know, I just have a, a different understanding. I try, I really try not to judge people in general um, yeah. because everyone has their own, you know, their own shit and people do things for a reason and who knows what the reason is right. behind it. So it's like, I'm really not going to try and judge people. So um, yeah, that's, 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 that's sort of how all that came to be. Yeah. I think I met your dad at one of the reunion shows and you guys seem to be like good terms. It seems like cool relationship. Um, yeah. And it's cool that you were able to bring that, forward as opposed to like holding that grudge and never having that option you know? yeah and even seeing my kids now like with him you know they don't know they don't they don't really know my you know yeah my my childhood so um you know to them it's like you know their grandpa like right, it's exactly. all it's all fun and you know and i i could even see him you know uh almost maybe trying to make up for lost time with like them yeah you know for things that maybe he missed out on, on with me and so you know, it's just different perspective, man. Life, you know, life is, life is hard. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like we're all just trying to, and harder for some, to figure it out, you, you know, know, for a lot more harder than for some than others. Yeah. Uh, you know, this, like I said, listening to your song lyrics, you know, comparing it to some of the hardships I've had or other people have had. Um, it's, it's, uh, again, it, I think it's good that those were the lyrics you, you, you wrote down and people were going to really connect. Cause they're like, at the end of the day, it makes people feel like they're not alone. Right. Well, yeah. That, I mean, that's been the biggest thing. Um, you know, with the music in general is, is like seeing how, sorry, I had a burp. Hold on. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seeing how like, uh, you know, my lyrics actually affected people in positive ways and maybe help them get through things, you know, and, and again, it's all about perspective. You know what I mean? Cause during, while we were, an active band and trying to make it and all this, it, like nothing was good enough. It was like, ah, oh, we're fucking failures. Right. Like we didn't become the biggest thing in the world. Um, and then, you know, we, there would be times we'd even play a show and there'd be like 10 people there. Yeah. But then like one of them would come up and be like, bro, like, you know, you yeah. saved me from doing this or that. Or like you're and, and it kind of makes you realize like, all right, like even if only a few people are really getting it or, mm -hmm. or it's resonating, it's, it's kind of amazing, you know, what, like music could do and, and how it, how it could reach people. And so, you know, after even the band ran its course in, in that way and, and, you know, now looking back on that, 
uh, it, it's it's pretty cool to see like people still you know people still come up to me and people get like lyrics tattooed on them yeah. and it's like interesting to see like how like your words really mean something to somebody and and I always just approached it like I was just writing for me you know what I, mean? right. I was just it was all very like personal shit and so you know it was always it sometimes make me uncomfortable when people would come up to me and be like like oh like this that and like telling me their story right. and we just kind of like. I don't know. I, I, I'm not good with right. emotion yeah, yeah. anyway. And so like when people sort of are vulnerable with me, it kind of makes me what, uncomfortable. Which is interesting because you have to be vulnerable yourself and giving out emotion f- to write these song lyrics, right? To have this balance of hearing someone else's stuff that makes you feel uncomfortable, it's, but you're putting it out there yourself. That I would figure like putting out your own emotion to, to the public in music might be more uh, intimidating. It's weird, man. Like, cause, cause also too, I'm, I'm pretty introverted and like, I don't like being the center of attention in any way. And so everyone's like, well, you were in a band and you were the singer and you wrote the lyrics and, but it's different. Like, I don't, I don't almost like don't, I'm not present right. in those moments. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm present when I write it, but then like when we're kind of performing, so, I'm, yeah. I'm zoned it's out. It's so funny you say that because I've had conversations about this as being a club promoter, running outsiders, like that's a persona. Not to say I'm like lying to everybody, yeah. but I put on this act almost on a, I'm, I'm almost like on autopilot mm-hmm. when I'm doing it, when I'm speaking in front of people. Even on this, this is like mm-hmm. don't want to say I'm on autopilot because I'm intrigued by what the people are yeah. saying, but like having to know that this is gonna be watched by, you know, if, if we're lucky, a few thousand people, right? <laughs> I mean, hey, uh, that's good. I, like I mean, was watched by what? Uh, 400,000 people? Yeah. yeah. About, yeah. yeah. But no, 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 I want to say, because me and Jeremy went to the, the Atlantic City show, mm-hmm. and when we were downstairs and we were coming up, it was like when I, we walked out, and you, it was like a hat switch. Like, you went from this to, <laughs> yo, you ready? And you went up, it was like a totally different yeah. person. It's it like, really was. Yeah, it's game time. No, yeah, yeah exactly. Exactly. That's, Basically similar to an athlete, yeah. It's sports. Like, that, that's the thing, too. Like, I grew up playing sports, and so, like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of used to, all right, now it's it's like game time, and you gotta you gotta go do what you gotta do. You know, yeah. you gotta go do what you gotta do. Um, but even up until recently, you know, I guess like I'm a I'm a late bloomer in a lot of ways because you know, like we we played so many shows and were a band for so many years, and you know, I think part of it was being comfortable in my own skin in some ways, where like I would kind of zone out at the shows and not even see anyone in the crowd. Like I would, like I would see them, but I'm not paying attention to anyone. Like I wouldn't look people in the eyes. Was that from the beginning or was that because of routine? No, it was from the beginning. It's really really just because like, I I just maybe, you know, like I think it's just, I have issues being vulnerable, you know what I mean? And so like, I, you know, like the more people in the crowd, the better because then you kind of, it's like faceless smaller crowds. Like I would try not to make eye contact with people. Um, but, but then like recently I've been more comfortable doing that and it's, it's like a different feeling on, you know, on stage. So it's, it's been cool. Is it more enjoyable? Yeah. 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 It's cause I think part of it is also, um, just accepting, like accepting the fact like, oh, like I, like my lyrics do mean things to people that the music means something to them and, and like, let me try to connect with them in a better in yeah. a better way you know and and so i've been kind of messing with that yeah. on some more more recent shows and it's been it's fun like honestly it's more yeah. fun now than when we were like truly active I and mean, i think I, I, yeah it looks like you're having a blast the whole band looks like they have a blast yeah. and um but before we continue on to that uh just one more ask a question about your family uh you didn't talk much about your brother uh, is your brother still around 
He is. I don't. I haven't talked to him in twenty years. Oh like, wow. Well, how much since like two thousand six? So sixteen years or so. I mean, you know, like it's 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 kind of it's crazy because you know again growing up i was i was sort of like the man of the house you know what i mean i was like in in some ways like a father figure to to my brother um and you know just like weird shit happened man you know like when my mom got sick like there was just sides of him that i saw that i was just like like who is this person this is Mm. fucking weird um and you know i just I just didn't, I didn't talk to him after that and just had no reason really to talk to him now. Well, based on what you said with not, you know, not, not speaking to your father, not holding that grudge. Is that something or when you're ready in your foreseeable future, you see reaching out to your brother? I don't know. I mean, he's reached out to me a few times. I I just haven't really responded, Mm -hmm. you know, partly because I'm busy, you know what I mean? And it's like, do we need to like fucking catch up and like, you know what I mean? And I don't, I I don't know. I, I just, there's there's um there's just certain things that I don't know it's just I I feel like he there's he crossed some lines that I just can't I'm not gonna get over right and so there's just no point you know like I maybe I'm not mad I'm not mad anymore about it but like it's almost like I don't I don't care so mm-hmm. it's like I, I don't need to waste my time or spend time trying right. to like fucking catch up or doing you right. know it's just maybe at some point but mm-hmm. um I kind of I don't know. Moved right. on. So <laughs> we'll move on from that question. Yeah. Um, did you always know you want to be in music? I think so. Yeah. What was your first time you realized that? I mean, I used to, since I was a kid, you know, go and a lot of kids, I think, do it. It's like, you know, go buy like cassettes and then, you know, I'd like write the lyrics down like as they were and then like rewind it and keep it and then I'd write them so I can memorize them. And then, you know, you kind of perform in the mirror what, what in the bands, shower. What, what groups would you do that for i mean i've done it for <laughs> like <laughs> i mean the, one of the earliest ones well i mean there's some let's hear it's kind of a it's, a it's a range i mean uh there was a song um was it candy man uh it was like a, a, a 90s rap like pop rap song it's like right. candy i forget who the fuck <laughs> sang it but uh I just I just like the song. So that was one of the cassettes. I, one of my early cassettes I remember buying and, and like learning the words that and there was like little dance moves in the video. Yeah. And, and, like, <laughs> and so I was like, oh, trying to, you know, I rem- that was one um, Skid Row. I'll remember. I remember you. Oof, that's, I remember that one. Yeah, yeah, I remember the music was, video for yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, Vanilla Ice. Uh, yeah. I mean, Ice Ice Baby. Anyone who says knows a the liar. I mean, listen, I, I hated Vanilla Ice, but when I first heard that song, it's catchy as hell. It was just so, it sounded so like different from everything at that time, yeah. and I was like, what the what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like this is, and then you know you start to see who Vanilla Ice is and the persona, and I was like, I fucking yeah, hate exactly. this guy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, that song is a smash. It's undeniable. Um, but uh, yeah, like some gun, uh, Bon Jovi songs for sure. Yeah, and Jurors. Yeah. yeah. So Guns N' Roses know. was like, like Welcome to the Jungle, Paradise yeah, City. Yeah, like that all whole that album. Like, but yeah, I used to, I used to, you know, early, early days, like write the lyrics and kind of recite them in a mirror. And, but then like when I started like going to concerts and stuff, I would, you know, just sort of like imagine being on stage. Right. And I remember like seeing Life of Agony and, Oof. you know, being like, I saw them, I saw them. Actually, you were supposed to come to that concert. 
Oh, yeah, actually, yeah, yeah. yeah. But I remember when they first started playing. What was it Agnostic Front, actually? Yeah, it was probably Agnostic Front. Never mind. I saw, <laughs> I saw them at Studio One mm-hmm. in Newark. And, uh, yeah, I just remember being like, man, like, like I want to be on stage. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like we could, like, do this. So what was the first time you were part of any musical group? Um, well, so I, I went to, uh, I, I got into a school for uh, gifted and talented kids. Um, and where, where school is that? Terrence Riley. In Elizabeth? In Elizabeth, okay. yeah. Um, were you good at school? Did you do well? <laughs> well, <laughs> you got into like a school of good and talented, but. So it's funny because I, I, I was all, I've always been smart, but I've always been like a bad kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and like getting, like I would get in trouble from teachers all the time. Like it's suspended. I got suspended. I got kicked out of kindergarten. Kindergarten? Yeah, like Which, expelled. From, yeah. How did you get expelled from kindergarten? I threw a chair at the teacher. And how, like, you, how, I mean, at kindergarten, I probably couldn't pick up a chair. I don't know. I was, that's what I'm saying. I was an angry kid. Yeah. And so I would like act out and I was just an asshole, you know, at that age. And so I would get suspended, get in fights. Yeah. Um, but like, the, you know, the work wasn't the problem. I just, I just was, yeah. you know, like angry and acting out. Um, and then I, I got this teacher, it was in fourth grade. Her name was Miss Owens. I was trying to, I'm trying to find her still because like she, she changed my life. Like mm-hmm. literally, um, she was like a new, she was a young teacher and you know, she was a black woman and really hard on me. And I, I always call her racist. I'm like, you're racist. You, you like, you just, just cause I'm white. And like, I, I like, I hated her class so much. And, and describe Elizabeth so that people understand the demographic of. Oh yeah. People. So yeah, I mean, people that know Elizabeth is, is, you know, majority black and, and Latin, you know, most like mainly Colombian, um, and Haitian. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like in my school, I was, I was one of the only white kids like always. And so, you know, like I would get picked on for that. You know what I mean? I mean like, Hey, Guns of Roses, both, yeah. you know, like, you know, whatever. But so, but I grew up immersed in, in like all sorts of different, you know, like at home, you know, like my mom would listen to like rock music and stuff. But then in school, all my friends were listening to rap and I was yeah. on sports team. And so, you know, that's sort of how all like my musical, uh, just tastes and influences like came together. Um, but yeah, so I was like the only white kid in the class and, and she was like so hard on me. And so I used to just like, <laughs> Complain to her, I'm like you're racist. You're just you doing this. Tell her she's racist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, she just rode. She just rode me, and you know, later I realized it was because she saw like potential in me. And, right. and so, this was the first year, like, she like she wouldn't let me slide on anything, and like it was just super tough on me. And I started getting good grades, like like straight A's, and. You know, we had this sort of like tumultuous relationship, but then I found out like she she put a recommendation to send me to this like gifted and talented oh, school, wow. and so like that you know going from like Elizabeth Public Schools at the time it was like I had guns pulled on me. It was you know, it was like it was like juice, like you know what I mean. Yeah. It, was like, it, was, it was like you know like what you Great would see movies, in those yeah. '90s movies, like getting jumped every day. How old were you? Um. Yeah, like 10, 11, 12, oh, 10, 11. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, up until, I mean, up yeah. until yeah, yeah. throughout, but like in, in like those, like the normal public schools, it was way worse. Um, and so, yeah, it was just like, and plus I was a big, I was a big kid. So I would get beat up by like older kids cause they would think I'm older. Like, you know what I mean? And so, you know, they'd be trying to steal my sneakers or, you know, fucking my coat and yeah. it was just all that kind of shit. Um, 
So you're getting shit at home and everywhere. <laughs> yeah. You can catch mean, a break. That's why I was that's that's why I was Makes like an ang- angry kid. Yeah. Um and so yeah, she she recommended me for this gifted and talented school and you could only get in if a teacher like recommends you. And so the, I ended up getting in and uh that was like really kind of put me on a path to change my life. Like really my, like because you know, that's where I met all the guys in my band. That's that's where I had access to like music programs and equipment and things like like things that we didn't have in right. a normal school. Um, now all of a sudden it was like I remember we had this this music teacher, Mr. Corley, and uh, he used to just he was like this cool like jazz guy. Yeah, like, yeah bro. <laughs> like <laughs> and 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 like you know we were in the jazz band and uh, he used to just let us like skip you know, lunch or whatever, gym or whatever, yeah. and go, they had studios in the school, really? like little soundproof rooms with guitars and all this shit. And, and yeah, I was asking myself, like, you guys came out in 96, right? Yeah, we were 16. I'm thinking to myself, how the, how the hell you guys get, like, the equipment and everything together to have an album, an EP? Yeah. And well, so the school. Well, part, like, the school had, you know, like, like I said, we would just leave, we would, any non, you know, important class, like, like yeah. a gym or whatever, <clears throat> lunch, we would go into the studios and they had drum sets and guitars and shit and we would just jam and yeah. and like mr corley would just let us do that and and we would you know talent shows and whatever started yeah. happening at school we would be the ones like oh, yeah. like you know we write songs and it wasn't e-town concrete at that point it was you know we went through some different iterations of like random bands like uh but we were always kind of writing music what and, were the names of some of those bands um <laughs> One of them was Grendel. Um, <laughs> Did you say Grendel or Grendel? Gren- Grendel. <laughs> okay, Grendel. Um, uh, Trip Instinct. It's um, not that bad. I remember, well, the first song we ever wrote that I remember was a song called Fish, Fish Stew. Okay. And it was just like an acoustic song about yeah. like fish stew. It was like major chords. It was like basic learning guitar right. and you were fucking around, but I remember that. Like <laughs> Fish Stew. Um, and yeah... Where was another band that we had? I don't know. We, we, it was all the same members for the most part? Me and Teddy, the drummer, yeah. were, were always like in bands. Dave had a different... We, Dave was in Grendel. He wasn't in Trip Instinct. Okay. Teddy was in Trip, Trip Instinct. Gotcha. Wasn't, you know, it, so we were kind of always like in the periphery of each other. Um, but we all hung out and were friends. And, and so, you know, it, like as we, when we started actually jamming together... It was E Town Concrete, and mm-hmm. like we didn't have the name at the time, but it was just kind of like we started jamming and like making harder music, and you know, like got into you know, like everyone's had older brothers that were into metal and sort of influenced yeah. them into like Metallica and Megadeth and like all that, and so then we started playing harder shit, and uh, yeah, then it just evolved, and you know, yeah, '96 we were 16, made a demo tape put it out and also how do you put out a demo tape at 16 like where do you send it to you don't send it to anywhere you go like it's two shows you go to fucking kinko's you print up a bunch of covers yeah. like that's what i used to do I, I used to go you know to staples buy a bunch of blank cassette tapes and you know because it wasn't even cds right, right. It was cassettes high speed dubbing yeah. and you'd have to sit there you know it's like maybe it went two times the speed so you would yeah. have to sit there for like <laughs> 20 minutes at a clip just making one at a time and yeah. then writing on the demo and then you know go to kinko's you make the cover and you cut it out and fold it and put it in the thing but you got to miss those days sometimes right no it was great man right. like honestly it was it was fun like yeah. you felt like you were 
like creating something tangible yeah. and it was you know like in, in in sort of the care even though it was just like xerox copied things like i, I wanted to make it like nah this is you know this is cool like well, let's make it like i think every cool design has on those it moments. yeah and, and, and everyone entrepreneur looks back from wherever they've accomplished and wherever they stand now and looks back at those moments so those moments are the most special yeah no it was yeah. for sure and it, it was a way you know we we kind of like spread the word through that and you know gave them out to some people but then eventually we started like selling them at shows so it became like a source of revenue what was the initial break you got for e-town where it kind of got the momentum going um there was this there was this guy um named uncle mark mm-hmm. uh, and they just called him uncle mark because he looked old but he was like in the scene yeah. um <laughs> he, he passed away too wow, so but, but like he was uh he was sort of one of those like guys that just was a just like a tastemaker, you know what I mean? And, yeah. and so like he would always be up on the new shit before like the band blew up and mm-hmm. like everyone in the, the little regional scene would kind of like listen to what Uncle Mark right, said was right. the hot chick. And so he just loved E-Town Concrete. I mean, he, he lived in Elizabeth. And so to him, it was so crazy that there was a band from Elizabeth. And, right. and so he like really took to us and was just like, oh, like start telling everyone, you know, this band, these, they're these kids, they're 15 years old, right. 16, and they're playing like this crazy like rap hardcore. And it, it, you know, and it just started to catch on. And so he, he was one of the early um, just advocates that, that gave us some credibility with like, Cause he was down with like all the bands that were kind of already yeah. around, like, but you know, like, like, you know, fucking agnostic front, like right. all those kind of bands. Like he, he was already, he already was friends with them. So he would like gave us credibility amongst the scene that like, all right, these kids are something to look out for. But then, um, you know, like fury of five was key for us because you know, like they, they also, because they were from Jersey, they loved the fact that, you know, all there's so many Jersey bands that yeah. pretend they're from New York, and and like that was a th- especially back then. People were like, "Oh, yeah, New York hardcore, boy." Yeah, of course, but we were always like, "Fuck that, we're New Jersey yeah. hardcore," and like you know, so much so that we named E Town Con, yeah, you know, like named yeah. after the the city we're from. And so, Fury of Five loved that, and uh, you know, also too, like again, we're like these young kids, so they kind of looked out for us yeah. as like older brothers. So they thought it was like, "Oh, these kids, these kids are yeah, kind of yeah. crazy, like what they're doing." I've seen you shot them out a lot recently. Yeah, because months, they, yeah. you know, they were. Um, you know, they were ahead of us uh, in the scene and had, you know, some buzz and some momentum and were getting shows and they would kind of take us under their yeah. wing and force the promoters to put us on the show. Oh, and, nice. and like, that would be some of our first shows. That For me, like, I want to thank like WSOU because I got a lot of my music from there. Yeah, well, well that, yeah, WSOU, WSOU, Hot 97, mm-hmm. even uh, Stretch and Barbito's uh, radio station, mm-hmm. um, Columbia radio station. Um, but obviously this, this podcast isn't just about E-Town, <laughs> yeah. but it's like, it's your it's it's the start of your. But that's your, the start, like yeah, yeah. That that definitely. I mean, the things I did in E Town, you know, uh, honed the skills that I would use to go on to manage Tiger. Well, let's and, talk you know, about like, yeah. how you got to there because I think I met you. I mean, a few years into your management career, maybe mm-hmm. I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. I, I was 28, 29. Um, what made you decide to stop? being the artist and go into the corporate worlds in regards to music? Um, well, I felt at the time, you know, musically, like we just, it's like no one really gave a fuck. You know what I mean? Like, honestly, like it's crazy now more people care than they did back then. Really? Um, yeah, like actually like way more fans now than then. Because you, you come across like a cult 
favorite. It, be, it became that. that, yeah. But, you know, always in this area, it was like that. But then you go outside, you know, this, you know, outside any major city. Like, we had our pockets, you know, yeah. like Detroit and Miami and, you know, like certain little areas were good Philly. Um, but for the most part, like, people didn't want to hear what we were doing. Right. And so I just never wanted to be like a weekend warrior that was like, oh, you know, living right. on like the past, like, oh, you know, because we toured with some bands that um, were big and then fell off. And, you know, like we were on the fall off tour. Right. And it was kind of like, it was just depressing, man. You know, yeah. like to, to, to hear like everyone's just living in the past talking about like yeah. the glory days. And I'm like, I don't, I don't want to be that. And like, you know, we, we, we had a certain amount of popularity that I felt like if we stopped, at least we preserve it and right. we never like out, you know, wear out our welcome in a way. Um, and then on top of, on top of that too, I was, you know, having a, a kid, my, you know, my wife was pregnant. Um, and it just was like, I, I don't, I can't be some dude. Right. But how'd you go van from trying to like scrounge together a thousand dollar gigs to yeah. fucking pay rent and like for a kid, you know what I mean? So I had to make a, a choice. But how'd you, what, what made you decide to go into the music business or what, what music business job did you get first and how'd you go about getting that job first? <laughs> yeah. Uh, sounds well, like a good story by your reaction. <laughs> yeah, I guess it kind of is. Um, well, I just, you know, I spent so much time being the business guy for my own band, I, I learned a, a lot of things. I knew how to do everything, you know. Baptized by fire in a way. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but we, you know, we were DIY yeah. across the board. So I understood how to book shows, how to look at record contracts, how to make merch, how to make, you know, anything that needed to be done, yeah. I, I knew how to do. So it felt like, all right, let's not make all these years a waste of this knowledge I have. Let yeah. me apply this to actually trying to get a career in the business. Um, and so my first, the first actual like job I had was, uh, it was at this distribution company called Big Daddy Distribution okay. in, in Kenilworth. <laughs> and, uh, they're a music distribution company, yeah. but one of the guys that worked at the label that put out our last album, put out the Renaissance, he had a connection there and he was like, yeah, oh, I'll get you a job. And it was like, it was just minimum wage job. Like, it was, really? you know, like, and I actually, it's funny cause I found I actually found like a post-it note from Big Daddy with their like their head their logo on yeah. it and shit that I was like calculating my hours for the week. Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, times like eight dollars. Right, 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 and I'm right. like, all right, like this week I made like sixty-seven dollars. <laughs> um and so yeah, it was just like a minimum wage, you know, job, like grunt work of literally filling boxes of CDs from stores that stores that were ordering CDs. Yeah. You know, we were a distribution point that like all the independent labels would ship there and we'd kind of send it out to vintage vinyl yeah. and all, you know, and so I'm, you know, get the list. Okay. This store needs two, 10 of this right. fucking emo band, 10 right, of this, right. you know, whatever <laughs> this comedy fucking CD, but you know, yeah. and, I'm, and I'm like walking up and down these aisles and just, putting CDs in boxes and then taping them up and shipping them so out. What was the next step from there? Cause that doesn't seem like this. No, nah, this was, I was like, you know what? This fucking sucks. Like I'm not doing this shit. Yeah. Like fuck this. But you know what I, what I realized was like, I could learn how to um, like how to be a label. You know what I mean? Cause like basically like what you, they would send out these, these um, like one sheets to promote upcoming releases so that stores would want to buy the releases. And yeah. so I would see like, okay, here's all the things they're putting on here. And like, I, I basically like stole their template 
Right. And I was like, oh, I could fucking sign a band. I'll make a one sheet, try and get some stores to pick it up. And then like, you know. Sign a band on your own label or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you started your own label back then? Yeah. Really? Yeah. What was the name of it? Ironbound. Another Jersey. Great name. <laughs> it's, it's, all, it's all Jersey all, all the time. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so like I kind of, you know. It's a great I, name. I, I, great used, name. I used it as a, a time to kind of learn the game a little bit from like the record label side. Yeah. Because I knew, I guess like management, you know, being a, it was unofficially I was like the manager of right. Town Concrete. But like I knew that side of it. Um, I knew how to look at record contracts. I didn't know how to release music really. Um, and so being inside this distribution company, I got to see how to put out a record and you know, then I got the fucking disc makers catalog and be like, Oh, like, all right. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like, you could print up CDs and right. You know, so I, so I was like, you know what? Like, and you start doing, just doing the math. You're like, if I could sell a thousand CDs at $10, it's that, you know, and so you start like, why am I doing this for $60 a week when I, you know, so then I start, you know, trying to, trying to make, uh, figure out the next move. Um, and so I, there's a band that I, I knew these guys that I thought were good, like a local band uh, called Strength in Numbers. And, you know, I just was like, yo, like I'm going to sign you to a record deal. Like yeah. <laughs> no money. But well, actually what I did was I, I actually got I went and got distribution from Victory Records um, because I knew Tony, the guy who owned Victory at the time. And he, he at one point he wanted to sign E-Town Concrete. And, you know, I, I like... I just made up all this bullshit about like all these releases I had and all this stuff and I needed yeah. distribution. And so I convinced them to give me 30 grand, like as like a <laughs> advance for, to, yeah. to sign some, some band yeah. and, and make, you know, make some, make some albums. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I took that, I signed this band strength in numbers and put out their album and, uh, it was good. Like, I mean, it just didn't, you know, it didn't really work because you start to see, you know, what it, like what the variables are that you need to have successful artists too. Cause mm-hmm. like these guys, like they had a lot of talent, but they had jobs, they had good jobs. They didn't want to quit their jobs to go on tour. Yeah. And it was just kind of like, that's never going to work. But at the time I just wanted to make right. something happen. So I was like, I, I kind of ignored all that yeah, shit. I was yeah, like, yeah, fuck yeah. it, awesome. I'll make it work. And you know, it was cool. Like did, did, did some shit, but like yeah. it was a experience, you know, first experience putting out, you know, music. And then I, I put out an E-Town Concrete album because I was like, all right, that's Which one was easy that? enough. The, uh, Made for War. Made for War. Yeah, that's yeah. the one, is that the one you just put out again recently on uh, Spotify? The last yeah, one? Yellow, yeah. uh, yellow album cover? It has like the brass <clears throat> knuckles yeah. on it. Yeah. It was never on like Spotify before. It was just CDs. Right. Um, but that was, you know, that was an easy one. Then I was like, all right, I could put this out and fulfill some of the obligation right. I have to this deal that I signed. Yeah. Um, and then it just, you know, ended up not really working out and it kind of fell apart. And then I started, uh, started working at ferret music, which was a, a, a label that had like, you know, every time I die and, uh, like a bunch of like that kind of, those yeah. kind of bands, the banner, like, you know, bands like that, um, hardcore, hardcore bands. And they were based in New Brunswick. And so I started working there. Um, and they were starting a management division and, and, you know, I, I started managing at that time. So that was your first start managing outside of your own band. Yeah. Yeah. How did that go? It was good. Like I actually had some, it's Did you manage the like Wolfpack? The pack. The yeah. pack. Oh, Not the there pack, though. Yeah, okay. But yeah, it, 
when I was at Ferret, I managed um, I managed Terror for a little while. Um, I managed Behemoth, which I is like Behemoth. it's they're like this crazy black metal, like like Polish death metal, like oh like really satanic, like yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, which is you know. But they're big, so I, yeah. I was kind of like yeah, fuck it, like I'll do it. Yeah. I don't really, I didn't really even know the music. And I'm talking to this guy Nurgle, who's the singer, and he's you know they're actually huge now, really. Um, but uh, you know I'm just. I'm like, fuck it. Like any opportunity that I could take, I'm just taking and yeah. just I'll make it work. Like how did it switch from that scene to being more pop culture and hip hop? Well, so I'm, I'm, I'm managing these metal bands and hardcore bands and it's cool. And you know, I, it's, I'm making like, I have a salary now. Like it's cool. Like I yeah. have health benefits and shit. So I'm like, shit, this is fucking good. Like, yeah. you know, like I you know. made it in a way. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, like I always, I was always more, like interested in hip-hop um just personally you know i mean like i didn't listen to as much metal or hardcore as i did hip-hop yeah and so um you know while i was at ferret i got an offer to uh to manage gym class heroes um and i said no because i thought they were corny (laughs) (laughs) that shut you know travis nice guy but at the time i was like nah fuck that like you know I'm, i'm into more hard shit yeah. and whatever to me so to me i was like this is backpack fucking right with that fuck gym class heroes and so i turned it down and because a buddy of mine this guy bob mcclin who is a co-owner of crush management who manage like everybody now they're like the biggest management company mm-hmm. um they were just start. He actually got his job at crush managing e-town concrete <laughs> and so you know i remember at the time like our last tour he was in a band that we were on tour with called this. He was in a band called the Step Kings. They were signed to Roadrunner and we did a tour together, like sort of our one of our last tours before we broke up. And he was like, he's like, oh, I'm going to like stop doing band stuff. I'm going to start managing. He's like, you should let me manage you. And I was like, all right, there's nothing really to manage. Like right. whatever. But at that point, I kind of felt like I'd been doing it for so long and, you know, fuck it. Like maybe this guy could do something right. that I can't do. Like, so let me like, see what he could do. Um, and, you know, shortly after that, we ended up breaking up anyway. But he it helped him get his job at Crush, who at the time was this no name management company. Like the biggest thing they managed was uh, like Meadow from the Sopranos. Meadow Sopranos. Really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like, and, I, and, okay. the, and so like that was like, cool. I'm like, yeah, we our managers. Sopranos. Yeah, Jersey <laughs> <connect. laughs> it's, it's like it's so, you know, like all these little things mattered yeah um i mean they're big back then but then he you know he he ends up working there and i remember we were we were on this fucking shitty ass tour right like our last tour and we're in some (coughs) no-name town in front of like played just played in front of like 10 people and he sent me he he was like yo i'm gonna i I might start working with his band fallout boy he's like check him out tell let me know if you like him and so you know i checked out the music and it was fucking good and i was like they fucking suck. I was like, fuck this band. <laughs> I was like, nah, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> and so but he ends up managing them and then they became like Fallout Boy. Yeah. And then Crush as a company blew up. They, they ended up, you know, from there it was like Panic at the Disco, Gym Class Heroes, oh, Fallout yeah. Boy. Now it's Green Day, Weezer, Lord, Oof. Sia, Train, you know, it's yeah. mega company. But um, so my band breaks up. I'm working at Ferret. He's now at Crush with Fallout Boy and like they're blowing up and all the shit. And so he, you know, picks up Gym Class Heroes. Pete from Fallout Boy is like, oh, you know, we're gonna, we want to start working with this band. So Bob is like, Aunt, like I know you like rap. 
you know, do you want to come manage this this group over here? And I'm like, I'm like, nah, fuck this. This, <laughs> you know, but but partly, partly because of the deal he was offering wasn't as good. Like I was actually making more money dealing with like hardcore bands than I would have if right. I went and did that on the on the initial deal he offered. And so I turned it down. But then Jim Class Heroes, like, all of a sudden I hear him on Z100, and it's, like, yeah. this big, and I'm, like, fuck, man. Like, I should have did that yeah. shit. I was so pissed. And I was, like, all right, next time I don't give a fuck what it is. I'm just going to do it. Yeah. And uh, so shortly thereafter, um, they sent me this group, The Pack, uh, and they were, like, hey, these guys, it's, like, these skater kids, like, rappers from the Bay Area, yeah. and, like, they got this song about vans and whatever. And I was, like, oh, this is kind of cool. Um and so I was like, fuck it. Either way, I'm, I'm doing yeah. it. So I ended up leaving and, and starting to work at Crush. And How many years were you working in the other, the other place? Or working probably like two years. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then I started working at Crush probably like 2004, 2005. Gotcha. Um, and yeah, the, uh, my first client was the, this group, The Pack, who had this, the single Vans, which became like... Uh, a viral song before viral songs before yeah. things were even viral. Like, you know what I mean? But it was like, this song was like Rolling Stones and it was like top five songs of the year. And you know, it was, it was like literally like viral, but it was pre internet in that way. Um, like the internet obviously was there, but it wasn't like how things, yeah. you know, take on a life of their own now. And they were signed to jive. Um, and the label just didn't, understand them like because because like i said they were these skater kids they were like kids from the hood in fucking berkeley california that like you know too short kind of signed them and but yet they were these skaters that were talking about wearing vans and yeah. and like the label was like this doesn't make sense I, we don't know what to do with this and, and i'm i'm trying to now convince people because i also see how things are changing in hip-hop and like i'm seeing kids where you know like i know like kids are wearing vans and kids are being skaters and they're you know it's like starting yeah. to like cross over in a, in, a, in a different way and rap was becoming more like rock in not just in aesthetics but even you know from like hopping in a van and playing a show and as opposed to like i'm not playing a show unless it's an arena right or a bus. Yeah, yeah. you know it, it just started to change and you know, I started to see that coming and, you know, the pack honestly were trendsetters for a lot of the shit that is here even now. Like little B bass God was part of the pack. Oh really? And you know, th their name, their name of their album was actually called ba uh, based boys. Okay. And because they used to say based all the time because it was, it's like all this like sort of inside baseball shit. But if you were from the Bay area at a certain point in time, you know, hyphy was a big, thing yeah but when hyphy became played out people just sort of write you off as like ah, oh, they're hyphy music and so i wanted to steer them away from that hyphy label and they would always say based as like instead of dope they'd be like yeah. oh, it's based yeah i was like yo you guys should just be based music and and we started coining that as a thing and then little b became the based god and you know like he he really set the template for a lot of you know even rappers that'll tell you like asap rocky will tell you like little b was one of the most influential to really? him. Yacht, little Yachty, like all, all like that SoundCloud mumble rap, you know, for yeah. better or for worse, what people want to say, like the pack and little B are like the forefathers of all that. And so they were my first client. Um, and even at that level, you know, just seeing the difference in the money 
of what hip hop makes versus like rock. Yeah. You know, like I was I was managing some bands that were pretty well known in in the scene, but they're making like thousand dollars, two thousand dollars max. Yeah. The first show the pack ever played, they got ten thousand dollars. I mean, it's so evident with the fact that New York lost; they don't have a rock station. Yeah. Or I don't know if they do now, but for years it was just hip hop stations. Yeah. So, so it was kind of you know from that from a business yeah. standpoint, I'm like, you know, if I'm getting a percentage of, you know, yeah. taking twenty percent of a thousand or twenty exactly. percent of ten thousand, exactly. I got to try and fucking make these moves. Um, and so I started to really just like focus on on building out like the hip hop side of things at Crush. Um, and then, you know, that sort of evolved into me just breaking off and doing my own thing, I, you know. So I, I met you through Mel Testamark, um, and shortly after, a couple of years later, I remember we were talking about music. I was, do, I was doing, producing my own concerts at the time and doing nightlife, but, uh, you told me about a group called Chitty Bang before they, before they became Chitty Bang. Mm-hmm. I remember you were at uh, South by Southwest. You told me to come by the show. I still finished performing. Everybody leaves. And literally, it's me and two other people in this whole place. And I stick around. I'm like, wow, these guys are really good. And everyone left. Yeah. Uh, when did that happen? When was that stage? Was that shortly after you left uh, Crush? No, that was during, uh, sort of during the Crush period. They, they were, I left with them. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, I think that was probably shortly right when I left. But I, I started working with them there. <clears throat> yeah. um, but again, it, com- it comes back to Jersey. Yeah. Like, I remember I found them on MySpace and their city, you know, used to say the city you were from, it, it was Newark. And so I was like, wait, wait, Chitty Bang? Chitty was from Newark? Chitty's from Newark. Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. And so I was like, what the fuck? Like this, like, you know, they were this alternative yeah. kind of genre bending group, you know, sampling indie rock bands and shit. And Electro, which was huge yeah. at the time. But like in yeah. a cool way. Yeah. And the dude is from Newark. And I was like, yo, this is yeah. fucking crazy. And it, it, you know, I don't know. I just have a thing for Jersey people yeah. that I just gravitate towards them. So I, I, I reached out and was like, yo, do you guys have a manager? What's the deal? Um, and then I, I went to go see them at some show they were playing in Brooklyn. And it was a full band at that point. Um, and it just it fucking sucked. It was horrible. Uh, but like, hmm. yeah, I, I convinced them basically to kick out all the other members of the band and keep make it chitty as the rapper and just keep the drummer Noah yeah. who was also the DJ and just be like, yo, you guys should be a duo. You know, the bass player, the guitar, but they all sucked. I was like, they're not adding anything. And right. I didn't like the whole gym class heroes vibe. So, you know what I mean? Like I wanted it to be different. Yeah. And, um, you know, it ended up working. We, we, we signed a deal with uh Parlophone records in the UK, which is a pretty iconic, like UK label. Yeah. Um, and so that was, you know, kind of my first. Um, and you took them on on your own, right? Like this yeah, was your own. What was yeah. the label uh, management company called? Commission. The commission, which ended up becoming a record label, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, that was sort of my first big kind of break in a way in my career. Like the pack had. Yeah. The pack was cool, and and but it was just a hard situation because yeah. they were. First of all, as a group, there was all sorts of infighting you know, and like yeah. egos and uh, they were signed to a label that didn't get it. Yeah. wasn't putting any resources into them. It was like, you know, my first experience with a major label fucking things up. Uh, and so this group, I went and got them a deal and was able to commission that and all that. Right. So that was my first like big kind of like, oh, Chitty bang? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, got them a pretty good deal with, with Parlophone and um, 
you know, from that left crush to start my own thing. Did that lead to Jingle Punks? Um, well? I know that was your first acquisition, right? Well, that so Jingle Punks, I just I met um, Jared, the founder. Uh, he was pitching me on some like children's music idea he had, and you know somehow came yeah. up that he had this Jingle Punks thing. And so Jingle can, Punks was a company that would connect artists with brands for no, no, it was a, no. it was a music licensing okay, platform yeah, yeah. basically. So like uh, a su- music supervisor could just log on and search for something based on a vibe as opposed to the way people would normally put background music in reality yeah. shows. Is yeah. like, they have a pile of CDs that they would have to fucking right, play right. and be like, oh, this the hip hop one. This also is the digitize that. Right? Yeah, okay. so it became like this library where yeah. you could just search like Liquid Death and it would yeah. probably play you some punk rock shit. And right. It was like an algorithm that... Because I remember hearing Chitty Bang on like a Taco Bell commercial. And I was like, well, oh. yeah. Anything I do, I try and figure out how can... Yeah. I plug it all together where it benefits all sides. Of course. Um, and so Jingle Punks just became something I helped out, like this guy that I met and, and, and made a bunch of intros and helped kind of like give him some strategy on what he should be doing with Jingle Punks. And so they gave me equity in the company. And then, you know, there was always, I used that as a, a marketing arm almost for like the management stuff I was doing because they were always dealing with brands and, you know, film and TV stuff. And so like when I was managing a client, I'd be yeah. like, yo, let's use this Chitty Bang song and this, and I could push it all through with the label because I managed them. So I would just be like, yeah, like we're going to do this. And, yeah. You know, they would get a check from Taco Bell and we would go do the, you know, so yeah. I, I would kind of just plug it all together. Um, so what was, uh, what was, so you, you had this going with Jingle Punks. Uh, what were the other artists you picked up? And also because Jingle Punks got acquired, it allowed you to kind of really f- go full speed on your own record label and kind of, if I'm correct me if I'm wrong, kind of funded the time you put in to build that record label, right? Um, not well, in some ways, yes, but um, I mean, really, my my main focus, like even throughout, like the Jingle Punks thing, ended up being really successful, blew up, and and like you know, there was like a hundred people working there at one point, and you know, I wasn't as involved from a day to day level um, as I was like in the beginning. It was just kind of like I was doing the management thing and. You know that takes up all your fucking time. At, at that yeah. point, I was managing Tyga, and you know, like, had a had a few clients that were just, you know, I, I couldn't focus on a bunch of shit. But you know, stayed a partner in the company and, and helped, and did you know, we did things together. They eventually got bought out, um, you know, by WME, and then after that, a, a, sort of a second bite at the apple got bought by this huge like teacher's pension fund in Canada that paid like crazy money for it. Really? Yeah. Wait, wait, it got acquired twice? Yeah, well they bought, the WME bought 30% of the company. Understood. And then they stayed in and raised the valuation of the rest, the remaining equity and then this pension fund came and bought it. So like random. Crazy, uh, like yeah. $100 million valuation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, you know, but that was like, that was the first time I ever seen, you know, like I literally saw a startup from two guys sitting in a fucking bedroom in the Lower East Side when I met him and this whole idea of like what this could be to becoming like a hundred million dollar company over the course of like five, seven, five, six years. But that... It's fairly quick for... Yeah, yeah. but that whole, you know, process learned a lot and and made a lot of contacts as well. And, and, you know, it it was really interesting to see that, you know, happen over time. And at the same time, I was managing all these artists um 
And, you know, Tyga was the main focus at that point. Like he became, he started becoming big. He was making a lot of money. Um, and yeah, like management was the main thing until like, I just realized I, I didn't want to, <laughs> I don't know. Like I, I, I just didn't want to be, I mean, management, like you said, you're kind of the babysitter. You, like you're, you're, you're the CEO of the company in a lot of ways, mm-hmm. but um, it's, it's not necessarily a product, it's a service. Yeah, you're, you, there, you, there's no, yeah, it's a service only and there's no security to it. You know what I mean? Like you get fired at any time. And, yeah. and, and so um, I just didn't like that model, yeah. you know? And I felt like I always had to kind of be like looking over my shoulder because, you know, it's a shady business. Yeah, People are trying to come in and, you know, I was living on the East Coast. Tiger was on the West Coast. People would be like hanging out with him in LA and the student be like, yo, if I was your manager, I'd do it. And so yeah, it yeah. became like, I'm now I'm flying back and forth every yeah. fucking week. And I, I just, you know, at a certain point I was just like, you know what? Like, I don't need to be doing this shit. Um, and so, uh, that's when I started label because, you know, I, 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 like Jingle Punk's also taught me the key is owning IP. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. As a manager, you don't own any IP. You just, it's a service. Yeah. You know what I mean? And, and even though you get the, the, the best like percentage out of everyone on the team, it's still like, it's a service. Um, yeah. and, and, and there's no sort of like ownership of anything. Yeah. Um, and so with a label, I looked at it like I could apply a lot of these same skills that I have and, and the networks that I have and, and all that and actually own some IP, which then has a value later that you could sell at a multiple. Right. Well, what's that's funny what I saw, is that you know? uh, when you had the record label, I'm not sure how many years you were in it on it. I came to hang out at the office. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yo, what's your plan? So I'm going to grow this. I'm going to sell it for $20 million. Mm-hmm. I'm like, cool. <laughs> it sounds like a good plan. What did you do? I grew it and sold it for, uh, <laughs> for 20 in that range. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, I thought it was incredible that you had the foresight and obviously the work ethic, right? So we see people saying like, manifest it. Nah, man. Mm. You got to like put the work in. You, you well, can't, that, can't believe in miracles. You got to make shit happen, right? Yes, yeah. So, but, I mean, that's that's the key too. Like I, I really believe in like visualization and manifesting things. and But you do have to put in the work. It's just not fucking well, you, magic. You need to, yeah, I agree. You need, the, you need the vision. If you don't see the vision clearly on any business. I remember I, I was a partner of this company called Loki. Mm. And it was like this app which was supposed to connect you with locals in every city in the world. Mm. We got to a point where like we didn't know how to get from this point to the scaling point. Yeah. Like does anyone in this meeting have a clear vision? No. So we scrapped it. Yeah. You got to you have to have people see everything. And the fact that you told me from like you had every detail planned out and like you said that was insane. But. It's not that crazy, you know, that and that's, you know, that's been my experience for as long as I can remember is is like, you know, setting goals and then achieving them. But like say like manifesting shit for real, like writing it down, what you want to happen. And then but then you use that like it's got to be a constant focus and Mm -hmm. you use it as like a reminder. You know what I mean? Like that's why people say like put a fucking thing on your mirror that you see every day like notes you know like goals yeah. or whatever because it reminds you every day and, and it kind of keeps you on a path mm-hmm. um but yeah like the label you know with with the label that w- that was really the whole goal was like i want to build this thing up and then sell it at some point and, and you did did it that's awesome <laughs> uh you also had a side project which is kind of how we connected as far as the outsiders is you had a coffee company and a coffee shop mm-hmm. obviously uh mm-hmm. It had its its last uh, yeah. breath, but um, 
I, I have to thank you, though, because like as minimal as it was to you, that helped us out tremendously. And I mean that because you own Drip Coffee, which is on the Lower East Side, and we were super early on in Outsiders, and we needed a place to meet up. Mm-hmm. We needed a place to meet up, and you, I was like, you know, it would be great if we can get like, can you, can you do like snacks with the offering? And you like made these little snack bags and everything for every other staff to do it. And uh, as minimal as it sounds, that helped us out so much just because it was a place to all meet up, yeah. cool spot. And uh, again, we were super young, so we didn't have the connections we had. And mm-hmm. I was still learning on how to operate that kind of business. So that's the real connection. That's why I tell people like everyone who comes on this show has to be somehow affiliated with Outsiders. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that's, little that's small dope. step was, was important. Thank yeah, you. I mean, you know, that, like I said, it, I kind of applied that, you know, uh, process to anything I'm doing is like, who, who do I know that we could kind of like plug into each other? And, you know, that that's part of how you build anything successful. It's yeah. like, you know, what I mean, like you got to you got to be able to like make shit happen and, and turn things into opportunities. And, and that's through, you know, knowing people that are doing other things and you can plug into their networks. Right. And so even with, you know, the outsiders thing, you know, I just thought it was cool, like, even just to have people come to the coffee shop. Like I'm trying to, I was trying to make this coffee shop work. Right, right, so I'm, yeah. I'm like, shit, like maybe they just like it. And at some point, you know, they come back when they're around, you Absolutely. know? And I love the brand. Trying to build right? a brand. You your, know? your, your, your target demo was urban, uh, urban population, right? So no one was targeting. Yeah. Go ahead. You, it, it, like the idea was, you know, because I, I'm into coffee. I like coffee. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't necessarily like the, the big franchise, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, Starbucks, like I'll drink it, but, but I always, if I'm in a different city or a different town, like I look for what a, a local mom and pop type yeah. indie shop is. But what I started to see is, you know, it's like, they're all the same aesthetic of like these hipster indie rock vibe mustaches and shit. Yeah. And, and I'm like, that's, you know, like that's cool, but there's other people like coffee too. Yeah. So, so my idea was more like, what if, you know, it was like the streetwear version of, coffee like like kith type yeah but you also coffee. had like that uh that the bmx rider come through like yeah, the yeah, yeah. Of, like, we try and do cool things yeah. like honestly like i i still it didn't it was you know failed endeavor but it was i mean it was, was also pandemic and the pandemic factors, yeah definitely hurt um and rent in manhattan super expensive and so yeah. like you know and we didn't have a kitchen and you know so it's very hard to make rent and pay employees and all this shit just selling coffee because you can only sell coffee for so right. much money like no matter where you are people right. are not going to pay crazy amounts for coffee but it was it's definitely fun and it's something i do want to revisit at some point um just because like there is that tangible kind of like i like to build things you know what i mean yeah. like, i kind of like to uh, you know like start things from the ground up and and try and develop them and so you know it was fun to have like a physical space where you're like oh yeah. like this is oh yeah our spot yeah. like we could do shit and make menu items and yeah. you know it was it was cool so um definitely gonna revisit that at some point well now that you have a bit you know financial stability right so you can be more creative more uh take more risk with these next ventures what are you doing now like what is your can you can you give us the insight on to like what your next step is and what, or even if it's not your next step what you'd like to see yourself doing in the future um, yeah, right now the focus is, um, so I, I, I became president of this company called Exceed, which um, allows people to uh, invest in talent um, through, you know, like basically IPOs, like talent could IPO themselves mm-hmm. and, and 
sell uh, SEC approved shares of of whatever they're you know whatever they're usually meaning music because yeah I mean music makes sense to start because um, you know people like the catalog music catalog space is 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 hot and like yeah. people know that that's a good investment you know the problem with that is it's a very gated space so you know you see these catalog deals happening for these artists and it's hundreds of millions of dollars like you can't afford that like you know what i mean like only these big funds are doing right. that and and so this is a way to um open that up to just the general public where no one has really done that before where okay we could take a hundred million dollar catalog and then take a percentage of it and just sell shares of it for ten dollars kind of like now what stash does for if you can't afford the whole share you yeah buy a piece of it yeah fractional ownership exactly um and you know through owning these shares you'll actually get royalties from the music um and so like uh, you know i just think it's a it's another way to sort of um eliminate some of the gatekeepers and and just open up the the business to to everybody really and, and make it accessible because you know the, like the music business especially it's all like who you know and yeah all these backdoor deals but um you know the fans would love to i think be able to own pieces of their favorite that's songs. That's basically all of what Web3 is right now, right? Like yeah. giving everyone direct uh, access to making their own money on their own information as opposed to letting the three big companies do it. Yeah, so the, the idea is like turn um, like talent into a its own asset class. Mm -hmm. And a commodity eventually, like I want it to be traded on like Robinhood and really? like the normal trading apps. Yeah. Where like now you could go buy shares of songs because right. Exceed is putting it in there, and like that's probably gonna happen. I feel happen. like that's the next most revolutionary thing after Spotify or streaming music. That's yeah, I mean music is a really safe investment. Yeah, because it's not, uh, it's it's not a safe investment if you're like a label and you're trying to put out a, a record from a new artist because you know most of those fail. But if you have an established catalog or an established artist that you know you could look at their historical earnings, it's gonna keep doing that. For Pretty much forever, right. so you can now say like, okay, I know this is going to make X amount over the next thirty years. That's why all these huge funds are just putting all their money in because it's not, it's not correlated to the right. market at all. Makes no sense. matter what happens in the economy, music streaming revenue is not changing. It's yeah. only going up because more and more people are going on Spotify and shit. So, you know, yeah, it's it's a real asset class that people just don't have access to. Yeah, and so that's what we're trying to do. All right, so back to you now. Mm -hmm. um, what do you do for fun? I don't do much for fun, man. I, I like I, you know, fun for me. I like going to the gym. I, I, I see, like, yeah, I see that. Um, There's stories. Yeah, it's really, really like going to the gym, hanging out with my kids. You know, some alone time once in a while. You know, like smoke a cigar. Yeah, that's, that's you still ride a bike. I do. Yeah. Okay. Don't have. A, much time as I want right. to be able to ride it, I you know, but yeah, a motorcycle. Okay. You know, um, what are your, I know we kind of spoke a little bit about what are your goals and dreams like moving forward? You've accomplished a lot. Well, I mean, you know, this with exceed, um, want to, uh, turn talent into an asset class and then, you know, listen, sell the company for a billion dollars in right. a couple of years. Well, I got to ask <laughs> so, you this. So we'll put it, you'll put it on this and then, you know, it could be like when I said it about the label. Exactly. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, make it happen. Uh, do you ever think you'll, 
it's not, I don't think any of us should ever sit back and do nothing, right? Because I feel mm-hmm. like people, life is about having purpose and, and you stay alive because you have a purpose and you're working towards something, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's constant struggle with how you stay alive. That's my opinion. Yeah. Uh, but do you ever think you'll be content and satisfied with the last, you know, whatever the last, whatever your last accomplishment is? I don't know. I, you know, I, that's, that's part of what I struggle with too. Yeah. You know, cause it, the, like you want to, um, at some point achieve some sort of like, I'm content and I'm happy, yeah. you know, but if uh, you know, you're always looking towards the next thing or whatever, I mean, I do worry about that sometimes. But, like, I, but I also think your perspective and I think what I've realized in mine is it's not necessarily the goal that I really enjoy. It's the process. Yeah. It's the, it is. The, yeah. that, that's what it is. Like, yeah. And you that's know, what people need to, that's what we're told, enjoy the process. But if you enjoy the process, then you're good. And it, it just means like maybe you always continue the process. That's, that's why I'm always like getting into things yeah. and starting things. Cause I, I enjoy, that's the process I enjoy is building things. You know, like after, you know, I sold my label and did those things, like it was kind of like, all right. How long did you sit around before you took on another job? No, no time. I mean, well, it was the, pan, it was the pandemic too. Right. But even the, like the pandemic got even crazier because, now you're working from home and you feel like at one point I was doing shit with like five companies, like, you know, yeah. it's like consulting and doing it. And it just like, I was like, yo, this is not sustainable. Right. So, um, yeah, I just, I, I, I'm always keeping myself busy some, sometimes too much. So I'm trying to, right. learn, I'm trying to learn to balance it a little more. But it seems like that's what you enjoy. I do. That's yeah, that, maybe that's, that, that's the thing. Part. I do enjoy it. You so know? I remember my mom used to ask me like, what's going on in your life? We used to always talk about work. And she was like, you only talk about work. I'm like, Talk about your personal life. That's what I like to do. Yeah. Like, I like. I mean, don't get me wrong. Now nah, I make a point of traveling. I do see. Yeah. I do see a little bit of the needing the balance. But I think uh, that mindset comes with being an entrepreneur. Or you know, I think actually you have to have that mindset to be an entrepreneur. For sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. Uh, what would you tell high school you if you could give him any advice? What would I tell? Yeah. Um, Um, probably maybe be, uh, less hard on myself. Um, you know, like that, I think for a long time I didn't, uh, appreciate a lot of the things that I was doing because I'm, I'm, I was always focused on the next thing or getting right. to a certain goal. So you, I wasn't enjoying the, the, mm-hmm. the, the journey as much. Um, and then next thing you know, you like, you look back and you're like, damn, like, those were the best times, you know what I mean? And yeah. I, I didn't really savor it for all that. It's Kinko w- days. Yeah, yeah. Like, honestly, like, uh, like all that shit, like even, mm. even our early like struggles, touring and stuff, like we were seeing cities for the first time and, you know, it's like, I feel like I should have paid more attention, you know, like to, yeah. to and like appreciate those things yeah. rather than being so concerned with getting to like an end goal, like yeah. ap- appreciate the journey more. At least you realize it. Some people go their whole lives without realizing that, right? Yeah, yeah. So you still have time, my friend. Yeah. No. Uh, what is your most embarrassing moment? Should I give you some context as to some other people? Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we just had a really good one recently, but I'll give you the first, the two that we usually reference. So a friend of mine, Javier, a uh, huge Deftones fan of guys, where all, he wears all their merch. He, uh, it was unrelated. <laughs> he got on a, on a bus, like, uh, he used to go to high school in Atlanta or Connecticut, can remember, he moved between cities. Gets on the bus, he's wearing these snap-off pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> bus door closes, he walks up, pulls the fucking pants off, 
And uh, he's sitting there with Tidy Whitey's on a public bus in front of everybody. Mm. Uh, that was one guy. Uh, the second guy was Ken Tanaka, who ran the New York City Marathon with uh, food poisoning. So it took him eight hours and 27 shits later, he finished the marathon. Uh, and the most recent one was Ari, who was on a bus, super drunk in, in DR. He's from DR. And um, they weren't making a stop where he needed to go. So he actually was screaming, make a stop, make a stop. It wouldn't piss himself, walked off the bus. And but the thing is, like a small town, so they knew everybody knew him, right? So he, he walked off the bus, piss pants. So okay. uh, we've had some random ones. It doesn't have to be something like that. That's pretty like slapstick funny, but yeah. <laughs> um, well, I, funny enough, I did have a. Uh breakaway pants moment too on, <laughs> on stage once uh, really yeah at a hardcore show yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, what happened i had these uh they were like mecca yeah, yeah like remember mecca yeah, of course i remember mecca they were yeah. like these snap you know basketball pants yeah. and uh yeah we were playing at the pipeline in newark mm -hmm. and i just got caught on like the guitar player's head of the you know his guitar head or whatever yeah. or uh, the headstock and like pulled them in like you know i kind of like moved away and he pulled this thing and then like they snapped off, and all of a sudden, I'm in my underwear on <laughs> on stage in front of all these people. Oof, so. That might be worse than Javier. Yeah, I mean, but that was, you know, and it, it actually, then you're in. I'm in the middle of a show now. I gotta like button right. one, <laughs> one, one at a time in front of everyone. Like, oh, like. so you don't look that cool when you no, when you're doing especially that. at a hardcore show. Yeah, 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 you gotta so, look I tough. Mean, yeah, that's one of them. Okay, that's definitely a good one. Not to copy there. So. No, that's that's a great. I mean, one. I th I've definitely shit my pants before. Wait, what? <laughs> no, <laughs> how, what happened? I don't know. A few times, actually, probably. Like, uh, I remember one time I was in my car and I had to shit so bad, <laughs> and uh, you know, I just couldn't hold it anymore, and, and it actually like m didn't mean to shit in my pants, but I did, and and like had to like wrap a fucking towel around oh my, my waist God. and like. You know, I mean, everyone's comes close. Every, every, if anyone says they never had that moment where yeah. they came close to, it's a liar. Yeah, yeah, I was talking to my friend about it coming out of the Holland Tunnel. It was traffic; he couldn't get out. He had to stop. He barely made it to a the gas station. It happens, man. Yeah, you know. it does. Appreciate you sharing that with everybody. Yeah, listen. You know, <laughs> what the fuck. Um, all right. So, is there anything I, I, I haven't asked you that you want to share about yourself? Um, it could be anything at all. No, really. No. No. I mean, it's fine did, if there is a good job. Huh? You did a good job. All right. I'm glad I did. Well, the last segment is our, our five uh, rapid fire questions. You know how that works. So I'm going to hit you with them. All right. Yep. All right. So uh, I actually jotted one down. That might be six. So you're going to get six. All right. Uh, what's your favorite city other than New York City? Mm. London. London? London or New Orleans? Why? Well, I haven't been to New Orleans yet. Uh, yeah. Why? Um, New Orleans is just such a unique city and like the vibe there. Yeah. It's like very like supernatural feeling, but also kind of like sinful. I don't know. It's, 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 it's funny because like, I, I have that vision of, of New Orleans and I've never been, but I'm, I'm really, that's like number one on my list for the States. Yeah, I love it, man. It, it, like the architecture looks, you know, like nothing else. Right. The people are cool. Like it's, it's such a unique city. Mm -hmm. um, I love, I love New Orleans. All right, so uh, next question is, if you could do any other profession, what would you do? Um, I mean, if I could, if just do whatever or... Do or, anything. I mean, I'd probably be a like, professional athlete. Pro football sport? Play, football player. You're a Giants fan, right? Yeah. You're a Giants fan? Okay. Yeah. Um, next question is the added question I added. So uh, if there's any band in history you can be part of, which band would that be? Or artist or whatever? 
Guns N' Roses. Guns N' Roses. <laughs> that was my like that was one of my first favorite bands yeah. for sure. The, I mean, ultimate rock rock and roll band. Yeah, like, you know what I mean. Especially at that time, the, the heyday. Like that would have been the ultimate. Like being Guns N' Roses. I got a great story. So I was in Paris and my friend's like, oh, you came to Paris, perfect time. He was like a big promoter there. He's like, we got a Guns N' Roses night. I'm like, cool, Guns N' Roses. I, I didn't know what that meant, yeah. themed, whatever. So I show up and I'm talking to him like, yo, you're so lucky to be here at Guns N' Roses night. I'm like, yeah, awesome. All of a sudden I hear, yo, that sounds like Axel. He's like, yeah, Guns N' Roses night. What are you talking about? It's, oh, sorry, he's saying GNR, not Guns N' Roses. Yeah. It's GNR. I look over and the stage in the back Axl Rose is singing, and there's wow. like the the GNR band, so it's not the official band. Yeah, yeah. I got to see them like in this fairly small club, Lark Paris, that's like awesome. performing live. Yeah, that's it was insane. Awesome. So that's my GNR story. Um, what's your vice? Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't really have. I don't. I, I don't really have many vices. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, maybe uh, pasta. Pasta, okay. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We'll, we'll leave it at that. <laughs> uh, what's your greatest fear? Um, hmm. Hmm. Not... Uh, I guess like, I don't know. I, I don't. Damn, you're stumping me, man. I, mm. I hate these rapid fires because then I gotta like. Well, whatever comes to mind first. I guess. The thing is, like, I I, w I was gonna say of uh, like failing, but that's not really. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid it's of funny failing. That's, that's my initial answer as well. But you wouldn't be an entrepreneur if you had a real fear of failure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I I guess like part of it is like I I never consider anything failing mm -hmm. unless you stop or give up on it. And I don't, right. you know, so it's, it's sort of like I could, I'm used to failing cause right. that happens along the way. But I guess like if you were a complete failure, that, that would be like, yeah. you know, yeah. but I, I, I feel like you kind of control that. So, but that was the first thing that just popped up. Yeah. Complete I failure. Like, I know it's like generic to say, but, but it's, it's a, it's a common fear. I mean, that's a, a fear that I think people who, I think, I think entrepreneurs, uh, tend to have more anxiety than others. Maybe that's what could fuel them. And anxiety in a sense because you're always thinking about the future, right? This yeah. anxiety is uh, overthinking the future. Depression is overthinking the past. Yeah. And happiness is being present, right? So, uh, <laughs> yeah, maybe. All right, the last question is, what's your favorite food? Favorite and what did you bring today? Well, well, you can explain. My, I wouldn't say it's my favorite food because yeah. I, like, I have favorite foods, but as far as like, something that um probably dominates my life <laughs> like first of all anything spicy um nothing spicy no anything spicy, oh, anything spicy. Like, okay, I, yeah. I just everything hot sauce on everything yeah. whatever but you know ever since i had takis for the first time it, like but when was that changed my life um it was when that uh i don't know if you remember there was a song that came out like uh it was like a viral song, like hot talk, hot Cheetos and Taki. Or so it was like a rap yeah, song, yeah. but it was like these little kids talking about Takis. And I was like, who the fuck eats mm -hmm. Takis? Like I knew what they were, but I never had right. any interest in trying them. But then I was like, well, let me try these Takis. Yeah. Ever since then, I, I think they put something in it that makes you addicted to them. <laughs> um, but 
I, I've gone so far as to try to find the powder that I could just buy for myself, like the Taki powder that they flavor them with to put on other food. Really? Yeah, and I actually found it. There's this lady um, called the, the the Candy Lady or something on Instagram. I don't know. She's like in Mexico. And I, I went into like these Reddit forums that like... <laughs> oh my God. It's a real problem. It was, it was, <laughs> no, that's what I'm saying. So, so like I went into... I'm like, yo, I got to find... Because I, I started getting on this kick of like... I think you might have found this vice. Yeah, there you go. Maybe, Takis. Actually, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was making like Taki fried chicken talk, like I would do like different things yeah. with the t- but I, but like the corn chips when you fry them or do things the flavor gets yeah. melted off yeah. it so it's just like corn chippy so I'm like I need the powder yeah and then also like you know just to I need the powder like, you sound like an addict right now I'm like I, <laughs> I but even, even like because also you know not to sound all fucking like whack but like you know these there's not that good for you man like there's right. you know, there's like a lot of calories a lot of fat a lot of right so i was like damn if i could just put some like taki flavor on popcorn or whatever i don't give a fuck if it's a taki so i went on this mission to find the most authentic like replica yeah. taki powder and even i was going to make it myself i was like looking at the ingredients but i don't have like sodium bicarbonate bubble well, you know, that's whatever. probably like a preservative you don't yeah, need no, it's, anyway. all, yeah. it's all shit yeah. but I, I found this reddit forum that um there was like these Taki connoisseurs, like kind of like <laughs> comparing notes. You found like, your people, my yeah. <laughs> so, so they they it led me to this lady, um, the snack lady or the candy lady, right. or whatever the fuck it is, and uh, she's in Mexico and she she makes like replica flavors of whatever popular like any like you get replica fucking Fruit Loops flavor like anything. She takes like chips and cereals and, and she stuff and she like makes them it. in a powder form and you could buy it and so i okay. bought these little taki powders yeah and you know i'll put it on popcorn i'll put it on i'll put it on rice i'll put it on whatever really you know what i mean where I, normally i would just crush up takis nice. um but yeah i fucking love takis man I, I i and i really only eat them um during the football season yeah on like sundays you know you know, I could have sworn you brought a bag of chips because of, you know, the reference to that in one of your songs, like the yeah. buy bag. And then, no, I didn't. I had no idea. Takis? That's yeah. New look, same intensity. Yeah. <laughs> but, like, there's also, they came up with these blue ones, the blue flame. Wow, look at you. You've like, got a problem. <laughs> you know, I, I bought Taki mac and cheese, man. I really? Thought, yeah, 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 like, it's crazy. But uh, You went down the Taki rabbit hole. I did. Um, all right. Well, before we keep on talking about Takis. Uh, what do we do? We trying them? Uh, yeah, you can try them. You, you try them? You know what? I'm on this annoying doctor order diet where I can't do gluten, right, well, dairy, or sugar. I'm not going to try the Takis. I know what Takis taste like. I'm going to take these home. Uh, well, why don't you describe Is it spicy? They're spicy, but yet they have a uh, hint of lime to them. Nice. Now, Doritos tried to copy it with their dynamite. Are they made out of, are they made out of uh, corn? Yeah, they're corn oh, chips. I can they're, have they're, that. they're like rolled corn chips. I, I think I have those. They're, they're basically like corn chips rolled up and flavored with this spicy slash. Um, like bugles, right? Bugles? No, bugles are more. Yeah, I could try They're it. like I mean, a tortilla chip. Oh, it's, I don't think a product like this is going to say gluten free, but <laughs> I'm going to try it anyway. It's corn. Corn chip. Yeah, corn chip, exactly. All right. Yeah, try one. How do you open these bad boys up? Is it childproof? All right. My first Takis. Here you go. If I'm addicted, it's a problem. I'm going to have to get those powders for I me. Mean, these shits will stain your fingertips. Like, after you wash your fingers, they, it won't come off, which means, like, my insides are... Wow. <laughs> those are good. But it has, like, a zest to it. Yeah. 
I'm telling you, man. It's like that hint of lime you get in those Tostitos, but like a little better. Yeah, the hint of lime gets you. Wow. We need a sponsor from Tok Takis. Hit us. Yeah, man. I have Taki socks. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's um You found my vice. I did. No kidding. We can go on like an hour to talk about Takis with you right now. We should just do a nice spice too. Taki podcast. Mm-hmm. Sponsor us. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, yo, I appreciate you coming out here. I know you're a busy, dude. No, it's fine, um, getting out and doing this and getting to know you more, uh, where you come from, giving people out there, whether it be people you know from recent uh, ventures or from the past, getting to know your history and, and where you've gone to now. So, um, we're gonna have you back here when you do that billionaire billion dollar deal. Let's do it, man. Let's uh, do it. I'm gonna pull this up as evidence that I yes. fucking claim this shit. Yes, and then when you name, I'm gonna name this this episode, uh, you know, Anthony Martini. From concrete to C-suite, but you can use that for your book. I love it. All right, and then it'll, yeah. I'll credit you on the shit. I, I'll take I, I'm that. gonna get a quote for you from you about you know like when they give like people give quotes about the book. I'll get one for you. I'll I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> and then congrats on the, all the outsider stuff too. And the, you know like I see I see I see you growing and doing all this shit. And you got the podcast. You got yeah. yeah. I see you in red carpets and oh. tuxedos. <laughs> and I'm like yo, Jeremy, bro, what's up? I invite you next time. I got you. I got you. Uh, Thank you. And uh, thank you for being a friend. And we'll see you again. Awesome, man. Thank you. Later.